we're going to read from God's Word, and I'm not going to read today. We've got uh, a couple of our kids from KC that are going to read for us. So if Leo and Izzy want to come on up, would you guys give them some love, encourage them as they come this morning? They are going to read uh, one after the other, and they are reading today from Luke 2, verses 8 to 21. If you've got a Bible on you, you can pull it out, or you can just listen to them as they read so beautifully this morning. So this is Izzy, this is Leo. Hi. Hi. You all right? These people are all here to cheer you on, okay? So you're going to read first, and then Leo's going to read afterwards, okay? So let's read God's Word together. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel from the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heaven host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, to peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, he, they spread the word, consigning what had been told them about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angels, the angel had given him before he was conceived. Done. Incredible. Well done, Leo and Izzy. Leo even got the word circumcised, which, you know, I'll leave that with uh, Phil and Anna as a Christmas treat. Um, So, expectation. It's the 22nd of December, if you didn't know, and whether you liked it or not, whether you're excited or not, whether you're ready or not, Christmas is on its way. A couple of days to go, it's on its way. At this point, it's like, you know, the snowball that is now picking up speed and rolling down the hill. There's nothing you can do. It is on its way. And it's coming. And I say that today because I don't think there's a single other time in the year that carries such a weight of expectation as Christmas time. 
I mean, think about it for a second, right? When you think about this whole season, this time of year, Christmas time, right? First of all, you have the music, okay? There's the music of this season. I know you've all got Christmas playlists. I know you've all been playing them from like an inappropriately early time of the year, right? You know, you get a wee like blue day in October and you're like, get some buble on, right? I know it happens, okay? Uh, so you've got songs like, it's the most wonderful time of year. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. I wish it could be Christmas every day, right? So much anticipation, so much expectation. It's the songs I blame for people's unrealistic expectations of Christmas, right? I mean, who roasts chestnuts, right? Does anybody here roast chestnuts? Does anybody even know anybody that roasts chestnuts on an open fire? Nobody does. Oh, Mars does. You do? I don't believe it. Well, that's just ruined my illustration, but that's fine. We've got some chestnut roasters in the room. Incredible, right? And as for a white Christmas, I've got bad news. The weather forecast says it's going to be eight degrees on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, so I am the bearer of bad news. It will not, in fact, be a white Christmas. You may as well stop listening to that dreadful song. That is, of course, unless you live in Castle Derg, which seemingly every time they give the weather reports and it's like coldest place in the world, barring Antarctica, is like Castle Derg. Same secret. So if you're in Castle Derg, you may well be getting a white Christmas this year. You got the music, and then you have people. There's people in your lives. For some people in the room, it's the expectation of finding romance under the mistletoe a la love, actually, right? There's people in here, you're hoping for that uh, this year, or you've got family members that are coming home. There will be parents in this room who are excited about the return of sons and daughters from uni and work and from wherever else they live. For other people, it's the return of friends. Back home for Christmas, you get to hang out as you do every year. You have people. And then, of course, you have the presents, right? Every family has a picker. You know that person, you know, that starts working their way on one of the corners of the presents that's under the tree, right? They may be inappropriately old to still be the picker, but they're that person that kind of picks away at the corner. And then, how did that happen? Oh, I don't know, just, you know, got wrecked whenever I was carrying it in earlier on. And they pick and pick and pick until they reveal the corner of the present. I was that child growing up in our house, the picker. So much anticipation. Our family is a gift-giving family, okay? We're, you know, the love languages thing. We're gifts people, our family. And um, so presents on Christmas Day were always a big deal in our house when we were growing up. A number of years ago, it was Christmas morning. We're all tearing through presents in the living room of mom and dad's house. Uh, And on the other side of the room, mom is beginning to open her present, right? It's the present that dad got her, right? Uh, There's been the usual collection of bits, perfume, clothes, you know, all the usual sorts of things that uh, a dad would get mom, right? And then there's this large, oddly shaped present, right? It's really big. And you're like, Wowzers, Dad, like you really went for it this year. Everyone's like, amazing, you know, Dad's really stuck his neck out. He's went for something incredible this year. And I mean, we're all usually pretty interested anyway because Mom returns approximately 99.9% of every present she's ever bought, right? So we're now like, well, what is it? Like Dad's went all in on the present this year. And Mom like starts to slowly open it. And it's that point, you know, where everybody else has kind of paused what they're opening and they're looking at Mom, right? So we're all watching Mom. Mom's opening the present. There's huge expectation. The present is eventually ripped open to reveal that dad had bought her a set of car mats. (laughs) Car mats. Merry Christmas, love. I love you with all my heart. Have some car mats. Romance is not dead in the Dickinson household, right? Car mats. Christmas. 
expectation. And for the Christian church, you know, we all carry huge expectation too. At some point in this season, you will have heard or you will have sung, O Holy Night, and we will sing this line as we sing it, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And that's exactly what Christmas is to the church. It is the thrill of hope. Christmas is the thrill of hope to the church. It's the kind of hope that's only met in a saviour. Just a minute ago, Izzy and Leo read these words from Luke 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And it's this word, savior, that we focus on today as part of the series that we called Signature that we've been running throughout this Christmas season where we've been looking at the names that are given to Jesus in the Christmas narratives. And Saviour is the word for today. And in many ways, Saviour is an unremarkable word in our world, isn't it? We hear that word really quite often in sort of slightly different ways in our world. We talk about new managers in football, right? Duncan Ferguson, Everton, Saviour, right? You hear these sorts of lines when a new agenda comes in and they take over and they're proclaimed the Saviour of whatever football club or whatever it is they're doing. Or else we, we see signs stuck up all the time or things in adverts that say things like seatbelt save, don't we? Saving language is in our world. It's not remarkable, is it? But what does the word saviour mean for us right now? What kind of saviour are we talking about as we sit here this morning on December 22nd, 2019? What kind of saviour are we talking about? What would he be like? Tonight I want to focus in on some of the response to the passage in Luke 2, okay? I want to look at at how the angels specifically respond. For me, you know, very often in life, um, whenever you spend time around people, in particular our church, young adults, in particular, you know, lots of people that have the whole world in front of them, whether in relationships or work or whatever it is they're doing in their life, you know, the world is opening up in front of them and there's anticipation and there's expectation in all sorts of ways. And how do you know if somebody is serious about something that they talk about whenever they start to tell you about it? It's what they do with it, isn't it? It's how they respond. When someone says, I want to do this with my life, you start to take them seriously whenever they start doing the things that they would need to do to do that in their life, don't they? Response is how you know that something or someone is significant. You can always tell in the response. And with the angels, okay, the angels arrive, they proclaim the news to the shepherds, right? And then all of a sudden, the night sky is lit up with this sort of choir of angels that are singing and they're responding. And they sing of two things about this Savior that I just want to dig into today really quickly. And the two things are this, their glory and peace. The angels talk of a Savior, they speak of a Savior and they talk about him in two ways. They talk about him as a Savior of glory and a Savior of peace. The first of these is glory, right? We're talking about a Savior today, and the first mark or the way that you would know is glory, the first word they use. Glory is an interesting word because glory is one of those things that you can't give, can you? You can't give glory to someone. It's just something that someone or something has, right? 
You either have glory or you don't have glory. Something either has it or it doesn't. You can't give it. You have to have it. It's a quality that you have. So when we talk about a wonder strike in football, you say it's a glorious hit, don't you? Like, you know, match of the day, we'll talk about, you know, oh, it's a glorious hit to win the game and all of that sort of stuff. Or whenever you get that one hot, sunny day in Northern Ireland that comes like once a year and the whole world descends on the North Coast, right? And, and somebody on the radio will say it was a glorious day on the North Coast, right? Glory is a quality that something have. It's not like honor that you give or praise that you give. Glory is something that someone or something has. And the thing about glory is that the word actually comes from the Hebrew word called, it's called, it's spelled kabed, but it said kabod. And it means something like weight or substance, right? Glory means something like weight or substance. The angels say glory to God in the highest. In other words, the angels are talking about this Savior as one with the overflowing abundance of something with real weight, something with real substance, not airy-fairy. They're talking about something real, something weighty, something of meaning and worth. How do I know that? Well, the thing is that glory, when it appears in the Bible, it isn't to be taken lightly, okay? Even in the passage that we read today, this is what happens to the angels. An angel of the Lord, or the shepherds, sorry, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. Glory arrives and they're not like, oh, that's an airy fairy kind of, oh, you know, glitter and sparkles feeling. They're like, they're terrified. Glory arrives and they're terrified. And then when Moses, for example, in the Old Testament, he asked God to let him see his glory. He pleads with God. We're talking Moses here, one of the fathers of the church. He pleads with God, let me see your glory. And what does God say? He says, no one may see me and live. In other words, if you see my glory, you're dead. There's no way you can look on me, look on my glory and live. That's how weighty this thing is. The glory we're talking about here is serious. It has real weight. Glory was significant. It was terrifying even because where there is glory, it pushes out the things that aren't so glorious. It's sort of like the kind of theory or the idea of displacement, right? The idea where a heavier thing displaces a lighter thing. In other words, if you have a bucket of water and you put a brick into a bucket of water, what happens? The water comes out because the weightier thing pushes it out of the bucket. And that's what we're talking about here. Glory pushes out things that aren't as weighty as it is. And the shepherds looking at their lives, as most people when glory appeared looked at their lives, recognized glory as the thing of substance and their lives as the things that had less and they were terrified. The thing is that the people of the time, people like these shepherds, they were longing for something to change. The idea of something being pushed out wasn't such a bad idea to them, right? They were longing for something to shift in their time. The Romans were in charge. They were the greatest superpower the world had ever known at this point. And superpowers in that time were propped up by the fact that they crushed absolutely everything and everyone who stood against them. That's what the Romans did. That's what every superpower of the age did. They pushed everything out that stood against them. And the emperor Octavian, for example, who was later called Augustus, he was the adopted heir of Julius Caesar. His name actually meant worthy of worship. That's what Octavian meant, worthy of worship. In fact, the idea that the emperor was divine, that was just mainstream. Everybody thought that. They thought themselves gods. People longed for change. An expectation was sky high. And here we have the angels speaking about something, someone weightier than the ones who thought themselves worthy of worship. 
And the world was hoping that this one of glory would push them out. I'm talking about glory and they're like amazing. We can push out these ones, these ones that stand over us, that oppress us, that just make themselves richer and better off and they push us down by the way that they do it. They were longing for change. And this is what the angel speaks of. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. These three words, savior, Messiah, Lord. These are significant, right? Savior, Messiah, and Lord. These terms meant something, okay? They would have meant something to them as they heard them. They would have meant something to the people of the age. And each of them meant something slightly different, okay? So like a Savior, when, when they heard the word Savior, it took them back to memories of Old Testament times, okay? The last kind of saving act was something like when God saved the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, right? Like the Exodus and all of that sort of stuff. That's what a Savior did. Savior meant release from captivity and oppression and all of that stuff. So when they heard Savior, they thought freedom. And when they heard Messiah, that was the coming king, it meant the true king would be on the throne, the one the Jewish people are still waiting for today. And then when they said Lord, well, that was the term the Israelites had used since the Old Testament. It was the Israelite God. What am I saying? I'm saying that these are loaded words. Savior, Messiah, Lord, these are loaded words. These are words that are carrying serious expectations, serious weight to people longing for change. The expectations couldn't have been any higher. And in this season of expectation, to people who heard these words, right? Romans just believed that their strength and their power would be enough to save them, right? That's what they did. They were the strongest power in the world. They just thought, well, we're strong enough. I'm not worried about this. Pharisees were confident that their rule keeping would be enough and a savior would save only them. And the Israelites thought a savior would be the one to set them free. They were looking for a socio-political savior. And in lots of ways, we're still the same, aren't we? We still believe in the mud and in the mire and the challenges of our own life that if we could only be strong enough, if we could only be wealthy enough, if we could only be powerful enough, if we could only be good enough, that we'll be okay. That's what we believe, don't we? And all this talk of glory, the promise of a savior, a Messiah, the Lord, all this expectation. And here's the significant thing. And then the shepherds set out on their journey, full of hope of what they've just heard. A savior, a Messiah, a Lord. And they travel all the way to the ground floor of an inn to what would have been more like a stable. And there they find a baby in a manger. They're promised a savior, a Messiah, a Lord, and all they get is a baby in a manger and somehow they aren't disappointed. Like that giant present that turned out to be Karmats. They travel all that way they're promised a savior, a messiah, a, malo- a lord. All they get there is find the most ungrandiose surroundings, dirty, poor, pathetic. They find a baby in a manger. I mean, I, I'm good with like, I'm good with the baby, right? There's something wondrous about a baby in a manger full stop anyway, right? But when you're promised something and your expectation's that high and you find a baby in a manger and yet they aren't disappointed, how could that be? How is it possible? Everything, every hope, every fear, every expectation, every longing was met in the face of a baby. How could that be? Because they were staring at the face of God. That's how. 
They were looking at someone glorious, someone with real weight, real substance. They knew it when they saw it. How do I know that? Because of how they responded. Verse 20 says that the, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. All they'd seen was a baby, but they had seen enough. They put away all of their own expectations of what a savior should be like because they saw what a savior looked like when they saw Jesus. Maybe that's what we need to do this Christmas. Stop bringing our expectations of what we think God should be like. Stop deciding what God should do and how God should be and what he should be to us and what he should change in the world and what he should change in my life and what he should change in all the people that I don't like, what he should do in their lives. Stop bringing our expectations to him and find our expectations change when we meet him. What do you see in that child today? Do you find all your hopes and fears met in him? Or do you find yourself disappointed? The shepherds didn't. They traveled all that way and they saw what they were looking for in the face of a child because he was somebody that looked like glory. But secondly, he looked like peace. Secondly, he looked like peace. Uh, I realized this year that I have become officially old, right? Uh, it just sort of happened, to, I mean, obviously, you know, it hasn't been happening over time. It just sort of happened in an instant. Um, I realized that I had become old because I used to love the day that Christmas decorations went up on our house, right? Like growing up as a child, like Christmas decoration day, like going mad, right? The tree goes up, really tacky lights are put up around the house, all of that stuff. I loved it, right? Even though with Elle, there's something mesmerizing about the world's tackiest lights, right? You'd be driving along and she'd be like, oh, daddy, I like that one. Can we get that one for our house? Absolutely. Absolutely not, right? So I realized this year I became old because even though I used to love it, I found myself on the 7th of December this year as I was like hauling a Christmas tree in our front door and like sawing the bottom off it and bringing decorations down from the attic and all the things you need to do. I found myself saying to Joy, Joy, I can't stand Christmas decoration day. We are essentially deliberately cluttering our house, right? That's what I find the words coming out of my mouth. I'm ashamed to say I am consciously cluttering my home. I am officially old, right? So the house is in chaos. If your house is like mine, you've got decorations up. Most of you, well, if you're like me, you can't wait to take the blinking things down. You know that day after Christmas where it's like everything goes away. And it's like peace has returned to your home, right? Your house is in chaos with decorations. Or maybe you've got a house full of people this Christmas, family home. Maybe you've even got in-laws coming to stay, in which case you have my prayers. Um, but the house is in chaos because of decorations. It's in chaos because of people. And one of the bizarre things about Christmas is that so many cars, and images and stories talk about peace, don't they? And yet for most of us, Christmas doesn't look like anything like peace. I mean, have any of you been in town on a Saturday at any point? You're not coming home going, oh, I had the most peaceful time in Belfast City Centre. You're like, I was nearly murdered in Waterstones trying to buy a board game. Like that's literally where we're at now. Yesterday I was in town for four hours. I meant to come in for an hour. Four hours later I like collapsed in through the front door with about two things because it was just so stressful running around town. We talk about peace, but it's probably the last thing that we feel. The shepherds last night, or the shepherds that night, they were in the fields doing their work. And the reality for them was that this was not a peaceful time either. 
The time they were in wasn't peaceful. In a wide-angle kind of way, the Romans were in charge. Herod, the Tetrarch, was in charge in that particular part of the world, and he was a notoriously temperamental and unpredictable leader. So it wasn't a particularly predictable or peaceful time in a kind of wide-angle way. And in a zoomed-in way, the census had just been decreed. The census was just essentially a way of making them more efficient at taxing people. They wanted to know where they all lived, so if you could all kindly return to where you are so we know how many of you you are and where you're from, then we can tax you more efficiently. So people had to return uh, to their kind of towns of origin, and this was a small part of the world, and every small town and city was rammed full of people who had returned to register. Every home, every inn was full. Maybe the shepherds were just thankful for the peace of the hillside. It's possible you know that up in those fields in the middle of the night there was peace because there wasn't peace down in the village. And then the peace gets shattered by the appearance of the angels and yet they speak of this, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. They speak of peace. The savior was gonna be about peace. But what did that peace look like? This is what it says in verse 10. The angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Those three phrases, good news, great joy, all people. Peace looked like good news, great joy, all people. I mean, doesn't that sound good to you? Wouldn't that represent peace if peace looked like good news of great joy for all people? I mean, speaking of news, I don't know about you, I should probably change my habits, but most days I start with like looking at the alarm. Oh goodness, is that what time it is? And then the first thing you do is go to Twitter. And then as you you know kind of go through Twitter, you just hit with like an explosion of trauma that's happening around the world. Bad news here. There's been an explosion there. Somebody's been murdered here. There's been somebody's died of a drug overdose there. It's just like all of the suffering of the world is filtered into your heart in a two-minute blast, isn't it? It, like, it only takes one scroll and all of the suffering, all of the bad, all of the sadness of the world is filtered into your heart. And sooner or later it numbs you, doesn't it? It hardens you. That you can just like scroll past and laugh at like the funny cat video that comes next, can't you? It numbs you. It hardens you. And yet peace is meant to look like good news. Good news is an interesting term because the word that we often use for good news, you know, we kind of stem from evangelism. Evangelism was actually, the, came from the word euangelion. Euangelion actually was what happened when a messenger brought news to a city or a village. And you, normally that news was like significant news, like news of a new king. Like if a battle had been won or a child had been born, they carried the news of something significant that happened, a new king has taken over. That's what good news represented. And the good news that this Savior speaks of in peace is that, the, that God has broken into humanity. God has broken into our world. God has broken into existence. That's the good news. And then he speaks of great joy. Speaking of joy, how often do you experience joy in our everyday life and in our world? I mean, I've just referenced Twitter. Twitter is not exactly a place of joy, is it? Neither is Instagram. Where do you find joy in our world? And yet, the angel says that this Savior, this Messiah, this one of glory, this one of peace is going to be of great joy. Here's what the great joy is, that through him there is another way 
to encounter and to be in this world, another way to be human, real purpose, real meaning, real relationship. And then finally, he says that it will be for everyone, for all people. You know what? We live in a moment in the world that we've never been closer together and never been further apart. Ironically, we can connect to anyone anywhere in the world right now by the power of your phone, but the reality is that you're likely more tribal than you ever have been. Here's the thing. When God said all people, he meant all people. That God has broken in that there can be another way to, to experience living in this world and that it is for everyone. There is nothing you can do this Christmas to cut you off from the love of God. It doesn't matter how far away you are. It doesn't matter how far away you feel. There is nothing you can do to be cut off from that good news of great joy. The Savior is the sort of peace that is good news, great joy, all people. Hi. Well, because the word that he uses is actually the word shalom, okay? We say peace, but the word that, it, that was used was shalom. And yes, it kind of broadly means peace, but it means so much more than that. The word shalom, it kind of means something more like everything in its right place, God's way, as he intended it. It means the world is all as it should be. It doesn't just mean peace as we hear it. It means that everything as it should be, God's way. And to experience that shalom for ourselves would be for everything in our lives to be as it should be. To experience it for ourselves would mean that everything should be as it should be. But here's the thing, this world, my life, it doesn't even nearly look like everything as it should be, does it? When you think about your life, when you think about our world, you don't look on and go, gosh, everything is in its right place. And so glory and peace, they come crashing into this world, don't they? They come crashing into our lives. Christmas is really about the collision between the way things are and the way things should be. You see, we come at Christmas and we think, born as a savior, born as a king, born as a child. We, we sort of run those words off. But really, Christmas is about the collision course between the way the world is and the way the world should be. Our lives are broken. They're broken and when we think about it, we know it. And only the sort of savior that is prepared to join us in the dirt of humanity, the sort of savior that would be born in a stable, only the sort of savior that's prepared to join us in the challenges of our lives, the sort of one that would go all the way to the cross, only a savior like that can do anything about it. The sort of savior who became what we are so we can become like he is. Only the sort of saviour who can put all the broken pieces of this world, of our lives, back together, back as they should be, can truly save us. Only the sort of saviour whose life meant glory and peace. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. This is what C.S. Lewis says. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Keep nothing back. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin and decay. But look for Christ, the Savior, the one of glory and peace and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. We look at him. We look at him. 
Because the peace we long for, the glory that the shepherds saw that night, everything as it should be can only be met in Jesus. Because peace is not the absence of noise, drama, trouble, hurt, hassle, or pain. And I realize as I say that there'll be people here today and that's exactly what they feel. Peace is not the absence of that stuff. Peace is the presence of someone, the presence of a savior, this savior, Jesus, the one of glory and peace. Just as I wrap up this morning, um, I realized something a little while ago when it was, um, it was while watching small children around Central, okay, a lot of the time. And I realized that there's this kind of strange thing that small kids do. Apparently, Joy tells me it's a developmental thing and they realize how to do it later. But I realized this thing that they all do. Uh, maybe if you're a parent, you recognize it, which is when you have a small child and you point at something, okay? It could be the fact that they are careering on a scooter towards a pillar. It could be that you're trying to tell them there's chocolate over there or mum's over there or whatever it is. But when you have a small child and you point at something, small kids don't look where you're pointing. They look at your face finger. When you go like, L, L, and you do that, she just looks at my finger. She doesn't look where I'm pointing. They just look at the finger and not where it's pointing. And I say that because Christmas is a time when we are absolutely saturated with Christian images, symbols, and meaning. Everywhere you go, TV ads will be full of it. Shops will be full of it. Nativity scenes will be everywhere. There'll be a star on top of every tree, just like that star that led the Magi to Jesus that night, right? The imagery is everywhere. I mean, this Christmas day, Stormzy, the grime artist who headlined Glastonbury this year, will read the passage we just read today on BBC One as the end of Christmas Day programming. You're now all gonna tune in for Stormzy reading Luke 2, right? It's everywhere. And if we're not careful, every Christmas and this Christmas, we'll just see the images. We'll just see the symbols. We'll just see the signs. We'll see the stable again. We'll look at the manger, as N.T. Wright called it, the most famous animal feeding trough in all of history. We'll just focus on carols and services and songs. We'll weep at certain lines and songs because they mean something to us. We will look on and find ourselves looking at the finger and not the savior that it points to this Christmas. He is here. He is here. Jesus is here. Look at him. Just look at him. Every hope, every fear, every longing, ache, and purpose is met in him if only we would see him. C.S. Lewis used the words, look for Christ, and you will find everything thrown in. This Christmas, as you go from here today, as you watch Christmas telly, as you receive Christmas cards and all the rest of the things that this season represents, when you see the manger, look past the crib. When you see the manger, look past the crib. As the shepherds did that, way, that day, traveling so far just to find a baby in the manger, they looked past the crib and they saw Jesus. Would you join me this Christmas in looking past the manger? and seeing the one who's in it.